Hello and welcome to this week's episode of From the Gravel Trap podcast. I'm Josh Chambers. And I'm James Stanley. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking at the race review from the weekend just gone, the predictions for the weekend coming, and this week's Rising Star, which is brought to you by Beyond Motorsport. So we're going to look at um, all three races from this, uh, this weekend's races at Qatar, um, the opening race of the 2021 season. Um, we'll have a look at the Moto3 first, and what a race to start out the, the year of, of bike racing this year. Fantastic race. Yeah, as always, a fantastic Moto3 race. It really does set the, set the tone for the week every single week. Uh, just as usual, really, really close with the top 14 being covered by less than 2.5 seconds. Yeah, absolutely. Ridiculously close. At one point uh, during the race, there there were only four riders that weren't in the lead group. Yeah, just the freight train, which is Moto3. I think definitely the wind did play a big factor, with, especially the head being a headwind. No one was really able to pull away with the slipstream being so strong. Yeah, yeah. And having a look at, at qualifying, um, quite a lot of the guys that you'd expect to, to be up there in the qualifying, Darren Binder set pole with a time of 2 minutes, 4 seconds, um, 0.075. And that's on the, the Patronus bike. We expected Darren to be up there. We knew he'd be quick. Um, but great to see him up there on pole. Yeah, it was an, I'm going to be honest, that was one of the, maybe one of my shocks of the weekend. Especially the fact he had to go through Q1 originally. I didn't expect him to be well, that, Yeah, and the brilliant mind <laughs> yeah. games played in, in Q1 for Darren Binder and, and Johan Stigerfeld g- coming up with the great plan that he goes out, he sets that real fast lap that um, was the one that put him through to Q2. Everyone's watching to see when he's going to go out again to get a toe from him. Um, so the cameras are on him, he puts his helmet on, walks... Like everybody else jumps up to go out and then everyone's out on track. They cut to him walking back into the garage. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. And, you know, cut everyone else's um, time to get those qualifying laps in. So he, he played an absolute blinder there. He really. did. It was a very bold move, but certainly paid off because if they wouldn't have waited for the toe, <laughs> he would have probably been in some big trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and talking of surprises, second on the grid was Isan Guevara, the the rookie on the gas gas bike. Yeah, another phenomenal rookie performance, which has kind of been the story of the the weekend as a whole. Yeah, yeah, rookies really standing out in all three races uh, this weekend, and uh, and and as you as we said, some surprises in all classes in qualifying and uh, and in the races. It was good to see Binder and McPhee working together during their qualifying as well to, to end up um, first and third on Definitely. the grid. That's what they said the plan was going to be for the season because it does help that John and Binder are both good friends. John even said that except for when they're on the track. <laughs> but in the paddock, they're really good friends. So I think it helps. I, I could see it. Yeah, and I, I could see it being hard to be friends with Darren Binder on track. <laughs> <laughs> He's certainly not shy of making a move. No, no. And uh, um, the race, uh, as we said, really, really close. Um, Jaume Messier getting the win uh, on the on the Akiayo KTM. He, he came through uh, from fifth on the grid to win that race, but sort of 
the pack we'd have almost expected up at the front. Yes, certainly. Well, when you look at the race as a whole, the the podium finishers, they were all near the front of that big group for the majority of the race. So it's not like they got lucky at the end or had a burst. They were always there and thereabouts in the front four or five. Yeah, exactly. And there were some uh, riders missing from that front group that we would have expected to be there. Your pick to win the race, Dennis Foggia, down at turn three on lap one. Yeah. Uh, I think he got um, punted off. Yeah, he definitely yeah, definitely got more than a nudge and Tato receiving that long lap penalty for that one as well. Yeah, and then you had your race winner prediction, McPhee, got took out with a bunch of others. Yeah, oh, and Artigas taking out, yeah, my pick for the win, McPhee, Mino and Jeremy Alcoba. I mean, it was just a ridiculous move. It was brainless. He, he just set the fastest lap of the race. And he's obviously seen a slight gap and gone for it, but then it's ended up he's on the inside of three other riders, got nowhere to go, and just just takes them all. Yeah, it was again somebody playing skittles with uh, with motorbikes. It was absolutely crazy. And as we said, some guys there, you know, McPhee and, and Mino, who you'd really expect to be up in that top group. Certainly. Like like we said, you picked him for the win. And I think we all expected him to be there and thereabouts on the podium because he showed great pace all weekend. Yeah. I mean, the other person we talked about, your pick, Dennis uh, Foggia, I think he might have been a bit of a casualty of not so great qualifying for him. We know he topped the test, but qualified 13th on the grid perhaps a bit of a victim of being around people he wouldn't normally race against? Potentially, yeah. I was I, I was disappointed with his qualifying performance, especially tipping him for the win. But like you said, it's, it's Moto3. And it, once you're in the pack, anything can happen. As I think we saw yeah. from... There was this on-board footage, I think it was two laps ago, going into turn... I'm not sure if we classed it 11 or... I think it's 12, because I think the 11, that long left is 11, then the quick first of the quick rights is 12. And you had the rear view camera and there was like six wide going into it. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, again, the, what we expect from Moto3. Absolutely brilliant. Um, as we said, Messia with the win. And rookie Pedro Acosta, second in his first ever Grand Prix at 16 years old. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, he, well, he, he showed that in the Red Bull rookies being able to dominate. Would it translate, we asked? And, well, it sure did, because he was there and thereabouts, like we said, all race. And he, he yeah. was phenomenal. And he did have the work to do find places from his grid spot to take that second place. Um, really, really impressive. Um, third, my pick for the championship, and who I said would be on the podium, Darren Binder. Absolutely brilliant. I'm feeling good about my championship pick right now. As am I with the race win. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a good it's gonna be a good battle between us this year. Between it felt so weird being on the sofa and really going celebrating a non McPhee victory in the Moto three. Like I said, when I saw Nasir at the front I was really going for him and celebrating. It was it was great to watch. <laughs> it certainly adds a bit extra into the races. Yeah, definitely. And uh 
if we just go through the top ten, so Sergio Garcia fourth, Gabriel Rodrigo fifth. I mean, and he had real elbows out with uh, with Darren Binder throughout the race. Yeah. There were a couple of times where I thought these two aren't going to finish if they stay really close to each other. Yeah, that that moment going down the home straight. Yeah, yeah, and uh, just giving each other the elbows into turn one as well. And Rodrigo as well. He also ran into the back of Messia on lap 12. Yeah, he was quite lucky to stay on the bike. Yeah, very very lucky for both of them, I would say. Um, another person who I was surprised to see up there was sixth place finisher, Nicolo Antonelli. We hadn't seen really anything from him through testing. Qualified 10th on the grid. You know, he's always sort of there or thereabouts, but when he appeared at the front, I thought, where's he come from? Yeah, the same thought was, I was sitting there watching it and all of a sudden he just appeared in first. He was like, where's he come from? I can't, it came from nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And really good to see you up there. Seventh, another rookie, both rookies in the top 10, Isan Guevara, uh, from that second position on the grid, did drop down a few, but finishing within the top 10 on that gas gas bike, Really good. Yeah, definitely. Look, we we did tip him for quite a good season after that test. And certainly after the qualifying, it was apparent that he's going to be quick this year. Yeah. The the next man up, Tatsuki Suzuki, finishing eighth. Well, he, he missed the test due to having to isolate. He messed up his qualifying, so he didn't even get a lap in. Started on the back row of the grid. He made up 20 places. 20 places in this race to finish eight. Yeah, certainly up there for contender and rider of the day in the Moto3 class, because he sure did have a great ride, and he was such a disadvantage missing the test. Yeah, and it's really good to, to see someone come through like that. As we said, Moto3, perhaps the easier class to, to do it through, but still taking some skill there. Yeah, it was Darren Bindresque. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very much so. Um, ninth was Kaito Toba, again, showing his prowess of what he can do, managing to lead uh, for a little while before dropping back through the pack. And uh, tenth was Jason de Pasquire, um, coming through the Swiss rider up into that top ten, which is good for him. Two places up on his qualifying position. Eleventh, Romano Fanati, twelfth, Tatai. Those two, I just mentioned, I know we said we'd do the top ten, but they managed to f- to finish just outside the top ten, and they both had that long lap penalty. Yeah, so definitely deserve a little shout out because without that, they'd be battling up there definitely. Well, I also think they helped each other. Yeah, by you know they ended up in a similar place after the long lap penalties and worked together to go and and catch up with that group. Yeah, and they just managed to get onto the back of it just by the end of the race. A few laps longer, and who who knows how much further they could have made it. Yeah, and Fanati, I would say, especially coming up there from 18th on the grid. I mean, Tatai was 14th, but uh, Fanati to get up within that group, again, from 18th on the grid, pretty good. Yeah, but the qualifying position was all his own fault because he didn't even get a lap in in q Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, and the, he had a long lap penalty, unlike Tatai's... Um, moment during the race it was for a jump start for Nati yeah. as well yeah it was the uh, he had a double lap, long lap for that yeah yeah so uh, again a really good race really action packed if you haven't watched it watched it 
I don't know what you were doing on Sunday because <laughs> there was nothing better you could have been. Um, I would just say, uh, the, going into the last lap, they were so close again. And the the moment, I think, that's, that sort of split the group and decided the podium was when Sasaki crashed out on the last lap. It just seemed to split that group a bit. And it's Sasaki just seems to be getting the racecraft wrong a little bit. Yeah, he's he's always there and thereabouts, but just seems to make one too many mistakes and he does end up on the floor a bit too often. Yeah, uh, he, you know he's got the speed, he just needs to put it together. But um, a, a great win for Jamla Messia, a great day in the Moto3 class for Akiayo uh, with both you know, his riders on the top two steps of the podium. Um, and a, a good day for Darren Binder showing what he can do as well. And like I thought, he might be looking a lot more settled and mature within that team. Yeah, I, th- I think he showed how important it is to himself now to get that qualifying because both times he's now had pole positions. The first time he won, this time he's third place on the podium. Yeah, so our predictions for last week. So, as we've said, I went McPhee for the win and you went Dennis Foggia for the win. Both of them taken out of the race, not their own fault. No, and that's I think that's going to impact them a little bit this year. Not this year, this week coming, because I know Moto3 is not big on tired egg, but with the sandy conditions, it was more than usual. If it's going to be similar next week, McPhee and Foggia are going to have a bit less data. McPhee can obviously use a bit of binders, but Fajir, Artagas was his teammate and he crashed as well. So, Yeah, so that um, Leopard team really a bit of a, an, a disadvantage as a whole there. Yeah. Then if we have a look at the rest of the podium, so we both went Binder and Messier uh, in different orders. <laughs> So we were correct on that one for our predictions, getting them on the podium at least. Yeah. Two out of three is not bad in Moto3. <laughs> no. So that begs a question then. What are you thinking for this week then? What's your your uh, podium this weekend? So i um, got in first place, building on a very good week last week. This time taking the win is Acosta. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. The the picking the rookie, and he's definitely shown form, and we've seen that he can learn. I think that's a, a good one. Yep. My winner. I'm going someone who's building on a really good weekend as well. I'm going Darren Binder for the win. Yes, I can see that. I I was really tempted to, but I, I don't know why. I just feel. I feel like next week he qualifying might just let him down a bit too much to the point where he might have to just use a bit more tyre than he did last week. That's the only It'll issue. Be... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just think that racecraft's come on. And I think he was disappointed that, you know, that crash of Sasaki seemed to split the group. It, it did hold him up a little bit. He had to find his way back to that group after being pushed down on the second to last lap as well. Yes, yeah. I, I, I think if he gets the bit between his teeth, he'll be really looking for it this weekend. Certainly, but that's that's the thing I'm a bit worried about. If he's going to be a bit too aggressive, a bit too determined, because I think he just got 
done a bit on the straight. Like he said, he didn't expect him to weave twice. And he, you saw from his onboard footage, there was like a second or two where he was basically had a headwind because he completely missed the two the two weaves from Messier and Acosta to stay in the slipstream. Yeah, yeah. And I I think that Messier is going to stay on the podium. He's my pick for second. But third, I'm going John McPhee. That's interesting because second place, I've gone John McPhee. But third place, I've gone for the other rookie, Isaac Guevara. Okay. I've gone for a double rookie podium. Right. Really hedging your bets there this week then. Last week, it was me with the wild pick (laughs) this week. Uh, I I mean, Guevara definitely showed his pace in qualifying. If he he can learn from that race um, and... You know, if that if that front group hadn't been uh, split almost by the Sasaki crash, who knows what could have happened out of the top ten riders, really? Yeah, because he was um, in that next little group. Because it ended up being like a top three. Then Garcia just seemed to edge away a little. Then there was a group of three of Rodrigo Antonelli, Guevara, and then the rest. Yeah. So if we can hold, keep it together, there's no reason he... I, I would think top five um, for Guevara. I'm not going podium just yet. Okay. I've been bold. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if we move on to the second race of the weekend, the Moto2, again, a, a really, really good race. Um, looking at the qualifying times, uh, Sam Lowe's taking pole. That was something that I think we both expected to to be if not polled certainly the front row yeah yeah he was really really impressive throughout the entire weekend fp1 two, three looked super dominant and then he just carried that out into qualifying it was just a really good weekend performance from sam yeah yeah looking really good second on the grid the rookie ralph fernandez yeah my guy i'm i'm classing him as my little Favourite rider now in Moto2 to watch other than Sam. And obviously Jake is my little always cheering for him. Yeah, was, I was really, really impressed with the speed. We we said, you know, we thought the bigger bikes would suit him. And uh, certainly qualifying, really, really good um, to get that first front row in your first ever Moto2 race. Yeah, it was very good. If I do remember, I think he did get a little bit of a toe round. Yeah, yeah, I think you're, you're right there. Um, but still, to to be able to get up there onto that front row, really impressive. Yeah, because end of the day, toe no toe, you still got to put the lap in. Yeah, and talking of uh, impressive front rows, third on the grid, Bo Ben Schneider. Yeah, I was absolutely blown away because he put in a good test, but it's one of those where you're thinking he's he's putting some good laps in the test. Is that going to translate to the race week when it really gets down to business? And he and he did. He was. I was super yeah. impressed. It was it was what we said was coming off the NTS, making the most of a terrible bike <laughs> last year on a competitive bike, you know, shows his speed in the first, you know, real turning wheels in anger session to, to get up there onto the front row of the grid. The first Dutch front row in the intermediate class since Jürgen van der Gorberg in 1996. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, oh, that's def- before I was born. 
<laughs> well, I, I don't remember that one happening as I was still quite young as well. But I do remember uh, Van der Goldberg when he was in the, the 500cc class on the bright yellow Honda. Um, but again, that might still be a bit before your time. Yes, just just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so if we look uh, to the race now, um, Sam Lowe's completing the dominance of the weekend with a really, really impressive victory in that race. Yeah, he, he was awesome. He just got to the front. He d- obviously didn't have the greatest of starts. He dropped down one or two positions, but really got that back within the first lap or two. And then from then pulled out a second, second and a half, two seconds, and then just just controlled the race. Yeah, it looked like, uh, you know, as soon as he hit the front uh, on lap two, I thought he's going to control this now. He's going to be away. He, he got a really did drop a couple of places off the line. There were good starts from Bezeki, um, Ralph Fernandez and Bo Ben Snyder, but Sam just looked so smooth and settled. You know, he didn't look like he was going to panic at all. Yeah, it was a really, really mature race. It's what we said at the, in our preview about Sam, how he looks a lot more mature this season and last season. And he, he really did show it. Yeah. And, uh, Remy Gardner finishing second in the race. I was really, really impressed by Remy because he looks like he's really grown up. Um, I, I, I know I said it mainly in the interview after the race yeah. that he, he looked more mature, but on the bike as well, looks uh, the most settled I think we've seen Remy Gardner. Definitely. I th- I think he rode a really, really good race. It was a, When you look at it, it was actually a really good comeback because he was fifth or fourth after the first corner then got beat up a bit. I think Dixon got underneath him, knocked him a little wide, then someone else did, and he dropped to seventh after the first few corners and then made his way back through the field into second. I just think he may have just burned his tyre up a bit too much, getting back to second to then be able to challenge Lowe's at all. Yeah, and you could see with, like we said, Sam controlling the race, whenever Remy started to make a few inroads, Sam would respond. Um, and I think you're right, just getting back through to that position. But to also then control it, control that second place himself was a smart ride from him. Certainly. It was a very, very impressive, like you said, mature performance. Yeah, yeah. Third place, a surprise in my view, uh, Fabio Di Gian Antonio. Digi on the Grassini Moto2 Federal Oils bike getting onto the podium. Yeah, it was really, really good to see. Because, like, like I said in the preview, he, I said he was, I was really shocked that he wasn't in the top 10 in the tests. I expected him to do a lot better. This is the sort of thing I expected from him. But after the test, I didn't expect a podium from him. So, and it was a great ride. Yeah, and swapping this year, again, he's another one that swapped... As we talked about him uh, being the former teammate of Navarro last week on the, what was the speed up, moves to a Calex and showing, you know, the potential he really showed in Moto3. Yeah, definitely. It certainly being on that better chassis as such really did show for him. And it was, you could see how much it meant to him and the team, obviously being in the Grassini team, getting that podium obviously meant a lot. Yeah. And of course, him and Sam, good friends, but also both um, have been part of that Grassini team and it means a lot to them for that tribute to Fausto Grassini, who sadly lost his life to COVID. 
yeah, it was it was really nice to see him up there. And talking about the chassis, just going back to um, Digi swapping onto the Calex, the top nine in the race, Calex. Yeah, it was a dominating, dominating performance from the Calex once again, showing it's essentially the most superior chassis in the Moto2 class. Yeah, definitely the uh, the one to be on. I mean, the first Boscoscuro, uh 10th with Jorge, Jorge Navarro, um, sort of, we know it's not a track that particularly suits it, but Navarro was in the top 10 in the test, so perhaps that's the limit of what the Boscoscuro can do around here. Yeah, potentially. I was very, very disappointed with Canet, my pick for third, dropping all the way to 13th. Yeah, I mean, if we look at the other other, uh, chassis manufacturers as well, uh, Havi Siren on the NTS didn't finish. Uh, His teammate, Barry Boldus, a 16-year-old, he didn't even make it to the race after a, a really weird but nasty high side in practice. Yeah, it was huge. Landed very hard. Yeah, a broken wrist there for for Barry Bellas, and he doesn't make the race. And it's it's like uh, Ramirez as well, Marco Ramirez. He he started the race with a broken shoulder and had to pull in after one lap. So Mary, maybe uh, Barry made the better decision on that one. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then the other chassis, you've got the MV Augusta. Um, of Lorenzo Baldazzari and uh, sadly he he crashed out uh, on lap eight uh, after winning this race two years ago. Yeah, again, just maybe not the chassis fault the crash, but it certainly, like we said, dominated performance from Calex, where the rival, essentially the rivals, you got the Bosco Scuro in tenth, thirteenth, then twentieth and twenty first. And then all the others either not starting or not finishing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you saying about being disappointed for Canet, I was just looking at the non-finishers while we were looking at the uh, the chassis. And um, I don't think uh, Xavi Vierge will be overly pleased with Canet. We said that the commentators were a little bit harsh, thinking that there might have been a nudge. But it was close from Canet on that pass where, where Xavi went down on lap 15. It was certainly close, but I still don't think there was actually any contact in there because it looked like when he was underneath, he's, the front tyre did start to chatter a bit before it took. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Xavi had had an interesting uh, weekend, as it were, with some contact. Um, <laughs> him, and, him and Jake Dixon had an agreement, they were saying, in qualifying that they'd tow each other around. Xavi decided he wanted to to do another fast lap and collided with uh, Jake who was deemed to be touring on the racing line and Jake ended up with a grid penalty. I don't think they'll be doing that again. No, I don't think they're doing doing it again, certainly. But looking at the footage, obviously with the agreement Dixon sees him coming, he's going to go on the racing line and speed up. But it, without knowing that, it does look quite bad on Dixon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when when you see it out of context, it's definitely uh, not right. But if someone's not going to stick to an agreement, you, there's no way of communicating between these bikes. Exactly. Um, but as we say, not gonna not gonna do it again. Uh, talking of staying on this like disappointment route, I was Augusto Fernandez being oh, down in fourteenth. 
yeah, and invisible for for pretty much the entire weekend. Really, he, he qualified down in twenty first position and manages to get to fourteenth in the race. But it just where was he? Where's the Augusto Fernando Fernandez that we we hoped we'd we'd see this year? We said we were. Well, I was a bit disappointed. Um, last year that he wasn't yeah. more of a contender but so. to become invisible in the first round yeah we was really open to see the the ponds version of him from a few years ago yeah not a good weekend for augusto hopefully they'll learn from this weekend maybe get some of sam's data in that side of the garage hopefully what yes. happens there uh, if we head back up to to near the top of the race then um Marco Bezecchi, fourth, seemed to struggle a little bit there this this weekend. He just didn't seem to be able to match the pace of the top top three. No, well, I think Lowe's obviously was a class above the rest, and Remy really was that next step down. But I didn't think the rest was too far behind, and Bezecchi did just get picked on the last lap by Fabio. So yeah, I I just felt he he shouldn't have been in a position. In my expectation, I expected him to be pushing Sam. So for him to be able to be picked by Fabio on the on the last lap, I think it. You know, fourth is not a bad start to a to a campaign. He didn't you know force something that was wasn't there and crash or do anything silly. But I think I just expected him to be a bit closer. You know, so five seconds off Sam. Um, at the end of the race, I, d- I just expected them to be a bit closer. Potentially, yeah, but I think when we looked at the pre-season preview, we, we did notice that Qatar has been his, generally his worst track in terms of results on a consistent basis. Yeah, and as I say, fourth, not a bad start to open a campaign, um, and it's a very, very long road to go. Definitely, definitely a long road. And behind him, you know, showing his uh, form in race as well as qualifying, Raul Fernandez. Yeah, again, I was very impressed with Raul. He was really good in the race. I think the issue he had, first full race on a Moto2 bike, obviously with the, like we've mentioned before, the sandy track as such was in, increasing the tyre deg. I really do think the lack of experience of a full race distance on the bike could have played a part in maybe burning up the tyre a bit. Yeah, and still great on his first time out to be in that top five. Very impressive. Um, next up, Joe Roberts on the uh, Italtrans racing team. I thought Joe did really well. I, I think he had a, a solid weekend, is the way I would put it. Not, you know, didn't set the world on fire, but a solid weekend. When they spoke to him on the grid before the race, I thought he looked rather nervous and I was a bit worried <laughs> but uh, you know sick a solid way to open up yeah very first race in a new team I think he was like you said solid where you'd kind of expect around battling for top fives I, I think he'll definitely build on it coming this this week yeah he was uh, followed by Jake Dixon um after, as we as we mentioned, an interesting Saturday in qualifying, <laughs> but he really got stuck in at the beginning. And I think that wrist played a part towards the end with him just not being able to to stay in that uh, 
you know the the next group down um but he did so well he looked like he was in quite a lot of pain when he got back in the garage yeah 100% you saw the footage of him when he took his glove off you can see him in a load and load of pain but he was extremely impressive because in the practice sessions he said he could only do around five laps before he started feeling quite a bit of pain in the wrist so to be able to do full race distance finish I, I, I didn't I, I thought anywhere in the top 10 would have been a good performance but Seventh place, only like eight and a half seconds behind first. That's sublime. Yeah, really good, really good. And it, it becomes a little bit more, you know, he, he lost off that, that top group, but he still had that pace to, to be three seconds in, in front of the next rider. Uh, Marcel Schrotter in his <laughs> sort of usual eighth place. Yeah, like we said, expect eighth, ninth, ten from Marcel. First race, he delivers. Yeah. Yeah, sticking with that uh, lower top 10 consistency of Marcel Trotter. Um, behind him, Boven Schneider, after a good qualifying, he he faded throughout the race, but still finishing within the top 10 there. Yeah, first race on the Calyx. Um, maybe not used to performing on, as in, after the bike for a full race distance, bit of getting used to maybe, but I was a bit disappointed because he showed good promise in the test. And then when he backed that up in qualifying, I was thinking maybe he could battle for maybe a podium top five here. But like you say, he just dropped dropped off. Yeah. Uh, as we mentioned earlier as well, uh, Jorge Navarro on the Bosco Scuro, the first of the non-Calix riders. Um, didn't see much of him throughout the weekend, really. But um, good to, to finish in the, the top 10 and good for, for him after last year to finish the race. Yeah, because we did say that's one of Navarro's main issues is staying on the bike. So just get, him, get a finish in the first one is always a good start. Uh, I will give a, a bit of a shout out to, to 11th place on the American racing uh, Calyx, Cameron Bobier. Um Really impressive in his, his first race on a, on a Moto2 bike. I mean, he, he didn't set the world on fire at all in qualifying 22nd. And to make up 11 places in a Moto2 race, I was really impressed. Oh, yeah, he was incredible. He was in the Moto2 category. I know we gave a lot of praise to Lowe's, Gardner, Digi, Jake Dixon and so on. But I think he may have been my rider of the day in the Moto2. Like you said, to go from in the 20s in qualifying and then getting a top 11 finish, he was only 17 seconds behind Sam. Yeah, and he just seemed to to plug away. It wasn't a lightning fast start by any means. He he worked his way through the field and shown I I really feel a good amount of potential there. If he can put the Saturday together and he's learned something from this past weekend, uh, you know, top ten I think this week. Yeah, definitely. I'm expecting a better performance from him in qualifying because it was one of those where it's your first week. It's, we've seen everyone who's come from non-Moto3 into Moto2, like, say, Jake, etc. It takes a while just to get used to Moto2. It's such a competitive class where if you're just slightly off the pace, you'll find yourself down in the 20s in the qualifying. Yeah, and like we've said, uh, another one, as we talked about last week, in non-traditional routes into... Uh, the MotoGP paddock coming from Moto America, it's um, it's really good to see these teams like American Racing 
promoting their homegrown talent. Yeah, he's, he's shown some great potential, great racecraft. Shows why he's been a multiple champion over there for last five or six years, constantly winning. I think he's deserved this chance, and I think he's going to really show the talent. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, let's uh, see for a top ten. So while we're predicting things, then Stanley, who's your winner this weekend? It might sound a bit boring, but I'm going lows again. As am I. <laughs> <laughs> I know sometimes in these back-to-backs it can be a bit hard to do repeat performances, but he just looked he's through the test, through this race weekend. He just looked a class above the rest. Yeah, he, that, that was my thinking. If it was a closer race, perhaps, but I think there was so much there. He was so dominant over the weekend that I think even if we do get more of a battle on Sunday... I think Sam has enough in the tank and showed enough of racecraft last weekend that he'd be able to win anyway. I agree, because I think he had a lot more left in that tank. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Who's the rest of your podium? So, second, um, another podium finisher from this week, but increasing his position, I'm going Fabio Di Giantonio. I feel like he's going to get the qualifying better and he's going to be higher up to start with and show that good pace that he showed towards the end of the race and really be up there. Right, okay. I've actually gone with Remy Gardner again. Um, I think he will be up there again. I think he'll learn, and I'm hoping it's going to be a closer race. Yes, I do feel like it is going to be a close race. In third place, I've actually gone for Remy's teammate, Ralph Fernandez. I feel second race on this track now, I feel like you'll know a bit more about the tyre deck and be able to manage it better. Okay, third place, I've gone improving a bit, but not a lot from this week. We know it's a track he doesn't like, but I think in that VR46 team, they'll be able to help set up that bike and help him up onto that podium. I'm going for Zeki third. Yeah, he showed the ability to get there last week. He could definitely be up there this week. And then both of our, uh, well, your championship prediction looking a lot better at the moment, but uh, both of them in the top five, it's a good start to the championship for both Sam Lowe's and Bezeki for our championship picks. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel quite happy, both for my Moto3 and Moto2, both winning the first race. <laughs> yeah, looking a real genius at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> I am, because <laughs> if you're looking at GP, I've technically gone 100% because Mark's not there. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm claiming 100. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do think that this weekend show, we, we said that we thought this championship was going to be mainly between Lowe's and Bezeki. And I really think that there's a few more contenders have shown their colours. Remy, definitely. And Digi, if he carries on on the form, we know he can be on um, in that he showed in Moto3 on the Calex now he could be there if he gets that consistency. And I reckon we're going to see Ralph Fernandez get a win before the end of the year. I know it's early on, but I can really see it coming. Yeah, same here. Okay, so we'll look ahead now to the Premier Class, uh, the MotoGP. Um, a really interesting race. A lot of this came out of that we didn't really predict in our preview of this one. Um <laughs> 
Look to qualifying first. Uh, what a fantastic qualifying for Peko Banyaya. The fastest ever lap around Qatar with that uh, 1 minute 52.7 lap. Incredible. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I think I do think Quattararo would have been a little bit closer when it comes to the pole position time because that the first lap he did in the final run he, he ran on and had to scrap the lap and then that meant he then didn't make the time for the second lap. So essentially he didn't set a, a lap on that second set of tires. Yeah, and it was unfortunate, just missing out with that checkered flag coming out as well. Um, but both factory Yamahas on the front row, um, impressive. Not particularly what we expected. We knew they'd be there or thereabouts, I think, them and the Ducatis. But both of them on the front row, very good for Yamaha. Definitely. I was expecting both of them in the top five, but not on the podium, because like we've always known, the Yamaha on its own can put a great lap in. Yeah. It's just when it gets held up, it struggles. Yeah, and in fourth place on the grid, after being towed round by <laughs> his mentor, Pecco, Rossi. Yeah, the the prodigy towing around the master, it was, a, it was quite fun to watch, just sitting him sit behind, he was... You're there cheering it on from the sofa. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the the bit I found the funniest was uh, Rossi going back to the garage because he'd, he'd forgot he was the uh, the top satellite rider. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can Rider 46 please come to Park Fermi? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, really interesting. A few other points from the, the Saturday qualifying time. That lap time uh, speed, that top speed of Johan Zarco... 356 kilometres per hour. Ridiculous. Yeah, both of the Ducatis are ridiculously quick. Because I think actually in the qualifying, Miller's actually picked him and done a yeah. 357. 358. But it was, yeah, three, yeah three, well, 357.6, so it's rounded to 358. But um, in the practice session, the, the speed record on a GP bike from Zarco when he got the toe from um, Bastianini down the straight. Wow. Yeah, that guy can go super fast in a straight line. Talking of Bastianini, um, the top rookie qualifying 13th, top of Q1 on the uh, the GP19 Ducati. Yeah, it was so close to making it through to Q2. I thought he had a great ride in qualifying. Yeah, very impressive uh, across the weekend as, as well for Inea. Um If we look over to the to the race, again, probably not what we expected. A win for Maverick Vinales on the uh, factory Yamaha. That was one of my least expected things to happen because we've seen Vinales qualify as good. Poor start. Drops back, and then the last three laps is rapid. Yeah. But he was really good. He put in a great ride. He looked quick from the get-go, really. Obviously, the the Yamahas kind of got done by the Ducatis on the start. Oh, that was unbelievable. The, talk about Bologna bullets. All of them. All of them. I mean, Jorge Martin coming through from 
row five up into, th- I think it was third place. Absolutely ridiculous. They've definitely got their uh, their starting technology working on those Ducatis. Yeah, definitely. And a couple of things about the, um, the, the whole shot devices, because that's what ruined Morbidelli's race, because his whole shot device was stuck on the entire race. Yeah, and he said he had no feeling at all uh, in that back end. Yeah, if we jump from from the top end finishes to the bottom. <laughs> Frankie Morbidelli, of course, you're going to mention this, so I'll get in there first. My pick for the championship. Finishing... I wasn't, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> finishing 18th and outside the point. So both our championship picks, nil point, round one. Obviously, yours, Mark, uh, expected as he wasn't even there. But my gosh. <laughs> I appreciate that from Frankie to make it more of a fair playing field. <laughs> I, I knew he was a nice guy. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, finishing down there in, in 18th because of that issue. I mean, he said that they knew they had an issue from the start and just thought to try and go with it, see if they could salvage anything. But, you know, the only rider behind him was uh, Lorenzo Salvadori on the on the Aprilia. But what what's your opinion on whole shot devices? I think, well, I think when you look at the technology that is in MotoGP and is developed for top flight racing, if it's there, then use it. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go from the other side of this. Is With all the technology they've got in terms of traction control, the start is and the start's been such a key thing in the race because it's the easiest time to actually overtake people. Don't you think it should be more rider technique, reactions, rider ability to control front wheel, spin it? Well, obviously front wheel coming up in there, that's all done with traction control. But don't you think it should be a bit more on the rider's ability from the start, more than the whole shot devices we saw from... Like you said, Jorge Martin coming from the fifth rope to fourth position by the first corner. I, I see your point, that, but I think when you look at the difference between MotoGP and, say, the World Superbikes, is that these are prototype machines. It is as much about technology as the riders, and we know how incredible those riders are. But also, it's it's a level playing field if everyone can have it and it's who uses it properly. Yeah. It's unfortunate for Frankie, his, his stuck on when you look at, you know, the, the superbike races, that is a production championship. And in recent years, we have seen that scaled back, especially in BSB um, because that is a production based bike and you are, you know, it's a massive selling point for manufacturers, isn't it? That, it does well in super stock super bike championships. <laughs> you can go out and buy this bike where it's, yeah. you know, the comparison almost to formula one in that this is a pinnacle of technology in, in our m- motorcycling racing sport. Yeah. I'm personally, I'm, I'm on the fence about it because there's a point where I agree with you. Like it's meant to be the pinnacle, the prototypes, you want them to be the very best they can. And at the end of the day, it's, it's team sport as well as a rider sport. 
So Ducati want to do as best as they can as a team. And if this is creating technology to create the bike go faster, then why not? But again, you've still, I'm, I'm this, I've also got the thought of, well, you, you want the rider to be able to have some type of control into it, if you get what I mean. And it's like... Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... Not be a push-a-button great start sort of thing. No, but if everyone has the same technology, it also comes that after the launch, you're still in control of that bike. Agree. But, uh, yeah. But it it was a massive, massive advantage for Ducati. Um, And we saw all of the the Italian manufacturer to the, the, the four factory bikes... Um, jump to the start, to jump to the front at the start of the race. All the GP twenty ones were were at the front of the pack. Now the the one guy equaled his career best finish in second place was Zarco. Yeah, he was. He was. He had a sublime race. He's he was so quick in a straight line. Yeah, yeah, so, so fast. I, I mean, I still clung on. I thought he was going to win it. I really did. Um, and But really impressive to see. Peko started off, you know, from pole position, off that uh, launch control and to the front. And he, he you know, he, man- he tried to manage it well. Um, said he had difficulty managing the tyres through the race. Um, you could see the Ducati speed still. What I really thought was interesting from Maverick, because Yamaha, and we'll probably talk about this a bit more with, with Fabio and, and Valentino, he saved his tyres. But was it interesting to you to see how much, we said the Yamaha are good through the corner, but how much it picked up out of the corner. And when you got on the straight, the Ducati is quicker, no doubt. That Yamaha was quick coming off the corner. Yeah, and Maverick was also able to stay when he got behind Bagnaia and Miller and and um, Zarco. He was able to stay in the slipstream and not lose much at all. And I think the conditions did play a huge factor because yes, the Ducati is really quick, but it was a really, really strong headwind, and that makes the slipstream so much greater. Yeah, that it was. It was just uh, they obviously set that bike up perfectly, and it was a confidence you saw. He had a plan. The bike was set up really well to pick up, perhaps of their advantage. It's like you said, they planned to stick in that slipstream with that Ducati and be able to not lose out, but then where that bike is strong through the twistier back part of of the Qatar circuit where it was strong anyway, it had more of an advantage elsewhere as well. Yeah. Personally, I, I know I, I know I've mentioned it a few times, but I do really think the conditions played a really big part because like we've mentioned in the other two classes, the sand caused a lot more tyre deg than was expected. And with the wind, A, the Ducatis were a lot slower in the straights. Not, not like they were slow, but... They didn't have the huge advantage they did. And I think it was Neil Hodgson pointed out that all the wings that they've got on the side, now with the side wind, you'd be getting some of the mid-corners. It was blowing the bikes about a bit more than the Yamahas, which are a lot more 
let's just say a normal bike looking yeah and and talking of conditions right there was a really interesting point brought up during the race by the bt sport commentary team which i think is really interesting which is we've got this double double header at qatar wouldn't it be really interesting if the second race this weekend's race was in the day yeah, I I never thought of that at all. And then as soon as he said it, I think it might have been Gavin. And as soon as he said it, I was like, "That's genius." Yeah. What? That's like that's then it's two same track but totally different races. Yeah, totally different conditions. Totally different races. I really think if if we are in this position again in the future, they've got to think about that because it it would be two totally different races. And like they said, uh, FP one and FP3 are, are kind of pointless for them because they're in totally different conditions that they're going to race in. Yeah, that's what Jack Miller said. He said he, said he wished he didn't go out in three practice three because it was so different, and he crashed, and then he said that really messed up his rhythm for the qualifying yeah, session. Yeah, obviously, and, and dropping his, his number one bike, going out in that, it's not what you want, is it? Um, no, the only thing I would say on the different time races... Um, just the sheer temperature of Qatar in the day, because I know I know the the like it's the pinnacle of sport, and they've raced in very hot conditions before. But um, I, I can't remember which rider it was, but one of them came in after the, I think it was the free practice three session and said like this is like dangerously hot. The heat there could play a part, but we've talked about sand and all sorts playing a part in things. And <laughs> and last year it was the cold weather that was a problem with the uh, the season going into the winter months. So. Yeah. Um, if we look back to the race then we, we talked about uh, Ducati speed and, and one man that lost up to that in the last corner to finish fourth in the race Johan Mir I, unlucky to a point on that last lap but going into that last, last corner he didn't help himself by running a little bit wide either yeah he lost all momentum onto the straight but and then <laughs> he had obviously that um, Bagnaia just tucked in just behind Zarka as well to get the extra boost. Yeah, yeah. So those Ducatis, really. I mean, by no means was a, a mere standing still, but it almost looked like it the way that yeah. they, they blasted past. But to see... <laughs> Zarko finished... Sorry. I was just going to see to see the Suzuki up there uh, fighting for the podium. We thought there'd definitely be top 10, top 5, but I was impressed by Mia. Yeah, Mia was sublime. He's, I think that race there, even though he won the championship last year, obviously there were some doubts. And there were still, I think, people maybe thinking maybe maybe Rins is still the top dog in the team. I think that race there, Mia put a statement out and that was him saying, I am number one in this team. Yeah, and some real racecraft. And it was interesting because they were saying that They'd spoken to uh, Mia's crew chief before the race, and it was, you know, all weekend they'd been 10th, almost hitting that wall 10th, 10th pace-wise. But then in the race, it's his racecraft more. We're talking about Mia being, showing that, that champion's form almost. Yes, certainly. I think they were disadvantaged in the test with the last day being cancelled, because like they said, they spent the first few days testing next year's stuff out, and then they were saving the last day for testing out 
for this year, and then with it being cancelled, they were on the back foot coming into the weekend. Yeah. So I'm, I am expecting them to perform a little bit better. But the qualifying's always been a poor point for the Suzuki. It's never seemed to get the soft tyres working well. Yeah, I mean him and him and Rins were ninth and tenth respectively. So it's not like one outshined the other. Um, and finishing relatively close. I mean, Rins came up. Uh, both of them finishing either side of Fabio Quattararo in fifth. Um, with Rins in sixth. Rins was the one who initially caught up to that that leading group, but seemed to drop off a bit. Yeah. He, he, they both showed really good pace. I think I think Mia's extra bit of... don't want to say quality, because Rins is a top-quality rider, but just that extra little something just really showed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as we said, between those two... Uh, the other factory Yamaha of Fabio Quattararo, and uh, he said that he just couldn't manage that rear tyre very well. Yeah, he said he was caught out by the early tyre deck, again, with the sandy conditions, and just not sure what to expect. It's, it was a bit of an unknown for everyone. Yeah, and that was something that really caught out Valentino Rossi as well. He said similar similar issue, and he plummeted. Fabio dropped down to fifth, but Rossi, from well within the top ten, in the top five at the start of the race, he finishes twelfth. Yeah, he was he was sixteenth at one point. Um, I think well, he was he was twelfth, and I think he had a little punt by him. I think it was Binder that knocked him down sixteenth, and he worked his way back up to twelfth. But I, I was quite disappointed with Valentino this week. I know he didn't have the race pace, but. I don't think he should have been 12th when the two people on the same bike of him was first and fifth. Yeah, I expected definitely within the top 10. I mean, and it started well. It would be interesting to see if, like we said, if the, the conditions in the sand play a part this week, if they've learned from it and what they're going to do differently, will we see a change from that preferred soft tyre? Um, we'll go on to seventh, which is the Aprilia, of Alicia Espargaro. And, you know, we've seen Alicia on the, the Aprilia in the top 10 before, but this looked a lot more competitive. It did. He was, he was just very good. He was just super consistent. He, he was, you never saw him, obviously, at the front front, and he was never in that front group, but the entire race, you just saw him there, just behind the group, just plugging away. And only finished just less than six seconds behind, just pipping his brother. Yeah, yeah, on the Repsol Honda, eighth place for Paul Espargaro on his debut on the Repsol Honda. And we were questioning on Saturday night. We both picked him for the podium, but didn't make it up there. But he was qualified 12th, um, over a second off the pace on Saturday. But he... He's definitely a Sunday guy, is Paul, and he definitely is learning by doing on that Repsol Honda. Yeah, I think um, he actually matched Vignales' lap-by-lap pace in the race. It was just the start that kind of let him down and the group position. Yeah, and, you know, flying that Honda flag. Stefan Bradl on the, uh, the standing in, obviously, for Mark Marquez on the other Repsol Honda, 11th. Uh, just outside that top 10, but a good finish uh, for Bradle as well. Um, but uh, both the LCR boys, Nakagami and Alex Marquez, crashing out on, on lap 7 and lap 14. And it just rounded off what had been a, a terrible couple of weeks at the track for Alex Marquez. 
Yeah, Honda's bad season has continued a little from last year into this year with the two crashes and at least they did get a top 10 to start off. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, just to, to see the Aprilia beat the Repsol Honda, no matter who's on it, it it's impressive. And, yeah. you know, Dovi, are you watching? <laughs> yeah. I, I think we may see him quite soon. Well, especially when we, you know, we said the only person behind Franco Morbidelli with a, a stuck-on... Um, launch control device is Lorenzo Savadori and plus 46 seconds yeah and yes he had a bad shoulder but he was further away from Morbidelli than Morbidelli was from Vinales yeah so I mean I don't know what the contracts are like but you've got to believe if they're going to if they can they're going to get Dovi on that bike yeah it's 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 a must-do. I, I, I think there's talk of him coming in for the second half of the season. But if they can get him earlier than that, I think they definitely would. But it would be nice to see Savadori just have a, a few more races. Well, he's got one more at least. Yeah. But again, will his shoulder be better by then? Well, Probably not. No. But, well, nothing's given yet, is it? We're only speculating about the Vizioso. And uh, following the Espargaro brothers was Jack Miller. Strong start from Jack. We certainly expected more from him on that Ducati this weekend. Uh, ninth place finish in the end for Jack. Yeah, that was such a disappointing race because it, it looked like he was managing the race quite well. He was just sitting there and like, I think it was third. And then when... Uh, Vinales made his way through and then once he got past Zarco it looked like he was closing in and then just suddenly just dropped like a stone yeah yeah and he, as you said people just seemed to to come past him I don't know whether he was caught up by conditions and tyres like everyone else and but a disappointing finish for Jack I mean he said he was was happy with qualifying fifth because he thought he could make it up in the race and just didn't happen for him no, I think he definitely got caught out on the tyres. Yeah. And closely followed in 10th place by the top rookie, we talked about him a little bit earlier, Anea Bastianini on the GP19 bike. What a ride. Both him and Mav for me were the riders of the day in this class. He was within 10 seconds of Maverick. And it was just a phenomenal ride. When you look at some of the names he's beaten... Rossi, Brad, or obviously all the other rookies, race winners in Binder Oliveira. Yeah, and he was he was uh, eleven seconds faster than his teammate. We'd say in quotation marks, teammate Luca Marini. Yeah, it was a very, very good performance. Definitely building on from what he accomplished last season coming into this year. I'm expecting another good performance from him this week. Yeah. But also outperforming the the um, GP21 Pramac Ducati of Jorge Martin. Yeah, I don't know what happened with Jorge Martin. He had such a great start, like we said, fourth in the first corner. And then, like Ross, he just dropped like a stone through the field. Yeah. Yeah, and also, I, I suppose we've got to mention it, is the fact that we talked about Honda's woes last year, but KTM, yeah. not any rider in the top 10 and and 
in the press conference, it's reported that uh, when M- Miguel Oliveira was asked if there were any positives from the race, he said, well, there was a crowd in the grandstand. I think <laughs> that talk about a difficult weekend. Yeah, certainly not a KTM track. I do feel them that like this is their worst track and they've got a double header and the only double header of the year. Yeah, and definitely doesn't suit them. Hopefully they'll find something. As we said, both outside the top 10. Um, Miguel Oliveira and Brad Binder, 13th and 14th. Ica Laquona, 17th. Uh, and Daniela Petrucci uh, crashing out on lap one. Yeah, it was a poor, poor crash from Daniela as well. I think he just ended up T-boning. I'm not sure who he T-boned, but he just kind of just ran into someone. Yeah, not the start he wanted when he's trying to prove that point to Ducati that, you know, you shouldn't let me go. Um, looking forward then to this weekend, who's your pick for the win this weekend? Okay, so I wish I would have looked at the weather, like a pre-red weather. I know it's quite a way away still, Sunday, but I think the weather played a big part in the result with the wind and the sand. So, based on a, based on that not occurring again, winning the race, I've gone Johan Zarco. Oh, you've stolen my pick. <laughs> I've gone Zarco again, again, because I really want him to win. And he showed that he could do it. I believe he's the fastest Ducati on this track. And you've got to believe it. He almost seemed disappointed he hadn't challenged more for the win. And I I really want him to win. Really want him to win. I think he certainly, if he could go back and do things differently, would. Because it did look like when, when he was in second and Bagnaia was first and he was in the straights. It did look like he was sitting up a little early so he didn't go past him. Yeah, trying to manage And then he kind of got mugged by Vinales and got past them both and then just took off. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Yes, Zarco for me as well. I mean, I I really want to see a backflip. Come on, who doesn't want to see (laughs) a Johan Zarco backflip? Um, Who's your second place? So, second place, building on what was a good weekend, more data, more things worked on. Second place, Johan Mir. Okay, I've gone second place, but building on, well, not exactly building on, but following the momentum of this weekend, I've gone Maverick Vinales second. I just can't trust Vinales. It's just like last, uh, last season when he won in um, Catalonia. And everyone was like, oh, this is the Vinales. He's obviously found something. And then the next race, he was nowhere again. Yeah. And until I see it from him that he can do it week in, week out, I can't, I can't, I can't do it again. <laughs> I've done it before and I got burned. I just think he looked a little... I mean, you know that I am definitely not the biggest Vin- Vinales fan yeah. at all. But he looked different this weekend there was something about him i don't know whether it was psychologically like i'm the number one rider he's i definitely think it is because i think they've been saying he's been going to a obviously as as a lot of them do to a sports psychologist you've seen and every single time he's left the pitch he's done a practice start to work on that he's even now ross has left he's switched to ross's side of the garage yeah i was going to say that He, he picked to take over that other side of the garage and 
interesting, isn't it? The difference that something can make mentally. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go against my my previous feelings of, of Maverick, <laughs> and I'm going to put him there second on the podium. That's funny because, like you said, you're not the biggest fan where I actually quite like Maverick. <laughs> And, I, and I'm there like, no, nope, I can't do it. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's for being objective, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, who's third for you? Um, it's going to be a comeback week. It's going to be Jack Miller. Okay. Yeah. He definitely needs to come back from that ninth place. But uh, <laughs> he, he was quick throughout the weekend. I think it was just the race day, as we said, a bit caught out. Yeah, I've definitely gone for the two Ducati podium again. I just feel if it is less windy, they'll be able to make more time up on the straights and there'll be less slipstream gained and they'll be less affected in the corners. Yeah, yeah. I've actually gone for third place, a third manufacturer on the podium, Johan Mir. Oh, I like it. As it- I was I was toying my my third place to actually have Fabio, right? Okay, but I went for Miller. Yeah, I think with Mia, like we said, they didn't get that much out of the test. They've got data now, and the racecraft he showed. I mean, he he was unlucky. Let's be honest; he wasn't second in this race. Yeah. So. I'm I'm going to say that he's going to build on a good performance and the world champion's going to be on the podium this week. Same here. So I've gone Zarko, Mia Miller. Uh, yeah, and I've gone Zarko, Vinales, Mia. What are we understanding so far? So uh, you're actually uh, beating me eight points to seven on predictions. Um, But the way we've done it is that if you predict somebody to be on the podium, as I predicted Darren Binder to be third in the Moto3, and I was correct. So that is two points to me. Um, We both predicted Messia to be on the podium. However, I predicted him second, you predicted him third, and he won the race. Uh, But because he's on the podium, we both get a point each. So if I run through our predictions from last week, uh, I picked McPhee to win Moto3. You picked uh, Dennis Foggia. Neither of those are right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> second place, you went Messier. Uh, no, I went Messier. You went Binder. Uh, that's a point each because they were on the podium in the wrong places. Uh, and vice versa for the bottom, except Binder was in the right place for me. So that's the way it's working. Yeah. I was really sad by my own Moto2. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the the top two places for your Moto2, Lowe's and Gardner, both picked in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> I was When I was watching your, the Moto2 and I saw Dijanto catch up with uh, Bezeki because I knew you had Bezeki on the yeah. podium and I was like, God, God, did he? God, did he? <laughs> yeah, otherwise I'd have <laughs> I was all, jumping around all the three room. on the podium there. <laughs> yeah. uh, a bit unlucky. Um, and we both. Uh, also only got one podium finisher correct in the MotoGP, which was Zarco, except I picked him to win and you picked him to be second, so you got an extra point there. Yeah. So we'll see how we go. Uh, you can be <laughs> the brains until uh, Sunday evening then, James. <laughs> yes, I've got the bragging rights. Uh, at the moment, I'm winning a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so we're going to move on to this week's Rising Star, which is brought to you by Beyond Motorsport, the only organisation offering career transition support for the motorsport community. Uh, This week's Rising Star is uh, our rookie sensation in the Moto2, Raul Fernandez. Yeah, I've been kind of waiting to do this since the first week. I've been really looking forward to the time Raul got his chance because like I've been saying throughout the thing I really really rate him highly yeah your pick for rookie of the year in moto two and so far looking very good um I've gone back and looked sort of from 2015 um his first year in the in the Red Bull rookies cup so his first sort of endeavor into GP paddock I suppose um his first year 2015 in the Red Bull rookies cup um finishing seventh overall um but doing pretty well throughout uh he had a, a top um finish of a, of a second place at Mizano, um one of three podiums that year but you can see the potential coming through from that year yeah definitely with the like you said the second place at Mizano, and then he followed that up with another second place at aragon um yeah just when you look at his results he's had a he had a couple fourths third couple seconds uh, we, and we've always said it's absolutely hectic class. Yeah, and he, he stayed in the Red Bull Rookies um, in 2016, along with competing in the, the CV Moto3 Junior World Championship and had a brilliant year in both, finishing third in both championships. Um, he got a win in the uh, the CV Championship, the last round at Valencia, um, along with two other podiums through the year, um, one at Valencia in the in the first race, um, and on the on the Husqvarna, which we know basically is a KTM, but also at the same time competing in the Red Bull Rookies Cup, where he won both Assen races. Yeah, he, well, he started off with a podium in a ref, then got then ref two not so good. But then the back-to-back wins in Assen. And if you take out that second race in Jerez, he didn't finish lower than seventh. Yeah, some real consistency. Um, and you could see him starting to to put together that sort of racecraft we, we see from him today. Um, 2017, a real odd year for him. Um, he was on the, the Aspar run Mahindra in the CEV Championship. And he finished 28th. But that's because he only finished uh, six races. <laughs> yeah, not not the type of season you'd want. He did have a couple of wildcard appearances in the Moto3 on the Mahindra. Yeah, and we know that that bike was not the best, we'll say, for the Mahindra. Um, a difficult bike for anyone who jumped on it. Yeah. Uh, 2018, a very different year following that year uh, of 2017 and the 28th place, because this was the year that he won the CV Moto3 Junior World Championship. Um, a, a really, really good year. Three wins, no finishes outside of the top 10. His lowest finish was eighth, but even if you took that one out, he wasn't outside of the top five. Yeah, it was a really, really good performance, especially when you compare it to the season before. He's gone from 
zero yeah, to zero. Exactly. And um this was coupled with um four wildcard appearances um in the, the Moto three uh, world championship. Uh, where he he finished in his first two wild cards within the top ten at Catalonia um, and at the Saxon Ring. Yeah, it was it was really really surprising for a wild card entry to get in the top ten. I know obviously we had the the um, was it Onchu were Valencia yeah. that first, but it was a wacky race. But he's obviously still got to win the race, but. It's not very often you get a wild card that stands out. And... So 2019, um, that 2018 consistency and that CV World Championship really secured that place for him um, in Moto3. Uh, a difficult sort of rookie year, finishing 21st overall, but some flashes of, of real potential um, with top 10 finishers uh, capped off um by his best finish of a fifth again at the Saxon Ring, where he showed that potential the year before in a wild card. Yeah, again, it's just the obviously first season in the championship, you're going to have a bit of inconsistency. He showed that with the six retirements, and then also adding on three finishes outside the outside the top fifteen. So a, a lot of it would maybe have been new tracks for him as well because obviously with the Red Bull rookies and the CV you would have gone to a lot of these tracks yeah yeah exactly um, and then the following year on the Akiayo KTM um, last season a shortened season but still finishing fourth uh, really really good results uh, a lowest of, of uh, 13th um, and two wins you know that really dominant one uh, at Portimao to round out the year we he struggled, as we said in a, in previous podcasts, with his size. He sort of outgrown the bike. He was putting more pressure on that rear tyre, and also he created a big uh, hole in the air for other riders around him. But definitely showed his pace. Definitely, because to get six pole positions in Moto Three in a normal season is impressive, but to get six in fifteen races, yeah, exactly, it's it's incredible. And he now that he's on that big bike as we saw this weekend, really putting that potential to to good use to show him what he, he really can do, qualifying the front row of the grid and finishing in the top five. Certainly, I can definitely see him because he definitely fits the bigger bikes in the next few years, definitely up in MotoGP, most probably within the KTM team. Yeah, and uh, it'll be really interesting to see how he develops this year. Like we said a bit earlier in the podcast, uh, we can see what happens this year, but we'd expect him to hit the top step of the podium before the year's out. Definitely. I think it's fair to say Akiyo's got a good eye for Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the racing at uh, Qatar last weekend and are looking forward to the second round of the MotoGP uh, at Qatar again this weekend. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, which is at FTGT Podcast, and also on Facebook, which is From the Gravel Trap Podcast. Both of those you'll see are talking points in the future and what we spoke about here. Um, thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back next week with the review of the second race.